My friends, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus uses a phrase beginning with I am seven times. That number is significant to John, of course. Seven is a biblical holy number, and so John is intentional in including seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Now, as a quick refresher, one of the understandings of the divine name used throughout the Hebrew Bible is I am. When Moses asks God in the burning bush who he should say sent him, God replies, I am that I am. So John is making a point to have Jesus claim this name for himself, that Jesus is claiming unity with divinity that Jesus is claiming to be one with God. And it gets better, too. Five of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes are simple, everyday things that the people of his time knew and uh, understood, both practically and spiritually. Jesus' statements make these simple, practical concepts have a deeper theological meaning and referenced and subtly changed their existing theological meaning if they had any. The five everyday things are bread, light, door, shepherd, and today's focus, the true vine. Jesus uses these everyday practical ideas to help unpack difficult concepts, shedding light on the mystery of the divine while keeping everything in good focus for ordinary people like us. Let's take a closer look at this grapevine image that Jesus uses in our scripture passage from today. In the ancient world, the grapevine was used along with palm branches as a national symbol for an independent Israel, for an Israel independent of foreign control, an Israel completely reliant on God. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, as well as found within Proverbs, use uh, the image of the vine that produces wild grapes as a metaphor for God's people going astray. Instead of producing the sweet grapes that were planned and planted, it's clear that something has gone horribly wrong and we are left with sour grapes, wild grapes. For the prophets, the sweet grapes that God has planted represent justice while the wild grapes represent bloodshed. Isaiah uses the vineyard both directions to uh, the true vineyard worth an incalculable fortune is overgrown with thorns and brambles and spikes and nettles and all the things you don't want growing in between the vines. But later, after the exile to Babylon, Isaiah comforts the people with a promise that God will protect and care and tend the vineyard preventing thorns and briars from growing. Same prophet using this image in two different ways in two different times. Much later in history, when the Maccabean revolt in Israel had succeeded and they had overthrown their Greek overlords at the time, silver and copper coins were minted with images of palm branches and grapevines, 
representing this newly independent state. Yet, by Jesus' day, over a century later, the dream of independence had burst again. Now, the provinces of Syria and Palestine were under Roman control rather than Greek. First, under a loose arrangement with a local ethnarch. I like this term, ethnarch. It means people's king, the king of the people, separate from Roman control, yet still under their oversight. And later, integrated into the Roman system of provinces under a governor. If ever there was a time that a vineyard overgrown could represent Israel, it was then. Here, the true vine was choked with weeds, with these oppressors being in place, treating people horribly. After all, even the high priest was strictly regulated by Roman authorities at that time. So when Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, he's saying that he is the vine that bears the good fruit of justice and not the overgrown vine that turns out bloodshed from sour grapes and thorns. That following in Jesus' way is a rebellious act against the status quo, against the powers that control, harm, and oppress. Jesus' way, remember, is not violence, but a sacrificial love. Not about gaining human power, but about recognizing that God wants human power to be used for the benefit of others. The corruption of goodness inherent in humanity in every human being needs to be pruned away so that once again God's sweet grapes of justice can grow and flourish in all the world. And all that from just referencing the true vine. Not to mention that Jesus later uses the result of pressed grapes, wine, as a way to speak about his blood at communion. We have this theme running through. Now, the grapevine <laughs> is a symbol that has weight in many places and many times for similar reasons. Uh, vineyards, you may be shocked to, uh, to hear, have existed for a long time. They're one of the earliest cultivated plants, grapes are. And uh, vineyards have existed in different cultures, and people have taken pride in their variant, their varietal of grape, uh, and how much it means to them. So there is the symbol of the grapevine that exists in many cultures and places. One of the more interesting examples of this, though, isn't about grapes at all, but has to do something uh, with the symbol of the grapevine itself. Let me explain. In the mid-19th century, just prior to the American Civil War, telegraph wires had been strung all across the United States. Telegraph wires, not telephone, to be clear. We're talking about a time before Alexander Graham Bell had uh, invented the phone. These telegraph wires uh, on hanging slack between poles looked to people like a trellis and a grapevine moving from one place to another. And so they were called the grapevine telegraph, as it happened. Now, these grapevines represented progress, swift communication across long distances, news and even personal letters being able to be received just about as quickly as they were sent. 
However, during the Civil War, something changed. The slang term grapevine telegraph swapped its meaning. And now, instead of referring to the telegraph wires that were actually physically strung between cities, the grapevine telegraph became people talking to each other, as in, I heard it on the grapevine. That expression dates back to this time. So when someone said, I heard it on the grapevine, the meaning came to be more about people talking to each other directly than about this telegraph that supposedly brought news quickly uh, from other cities. Amusingly, even then, the expression had it that you could hear more about the progress of the war from the grapevine telegraph than you could from the offices of Western Union. You could find out more from talking to your friends than from the telegraph wires. So I've been thinking, since last week we had this wonderful multi-log sermon where we talked about our examples with the Good Shepherd and uh, all these different perspectives and how our different perspectives and experiences shape our understanding of Scripture. And so I've got something of a challenge for you this week. Take a bit of time to listen for the Holy Spirit at work in you. And think about what common, everyday experiences in your life could point to God. Maybe you're not as familiar with kneading dough and baking bread as those in the ancient world were. Or perhaps you haven't gone out this morning and shepherded your flock of sheep uh, on your way to church. But you might be a teacher um, and know that Jesus would say to you, in language you could understand, I am the good administrator or the noble professor, or the true smart board. Or maybe you're an engineer, and Jesus would say to you, I am the good mechanic, or the friction of the world, or the true central processing unit. Really think on it this week. And you can let me know what you come up with. It's a good conversation starter, if nothing else. Maybe uh, around the dinner table would be a good time for it. But to give you an example of how much uh, fun this can be, Here's the one that I came up with as a, a prototype. Now, I'm not claiming that this is perfect or that Jesus would actually say this. I have no way of knowing what Jesus would actually say, but this feels right to me. I am the network, you are the cell phones. I am the network, you are the smartphones, even. After all, God connects us to each other, the loved ones and the wrong numbers both. We build cell towers, perhaps not because God needs them, but as visible symbols of God's signal in the world. For God's connection to us all does not require wires, and God's presence is felt even when we're not seeking it. God tends the network, reaching out and calling you at the most unexpected moments. Now, the connection is always four bars strong, but we sometimes ignore that connection strength. Ending the call while claiming we're going out of range or going through a tunnel. But no matter how long we turn on airplane mode, the signal is still there, waiting for us to return. God facilitates conversation, whether late nights, long-distance calls, or simple texts of affirmation and love. I think God's wireless grapevine is always filled with good news. In God's network, we are accepted and loved from the moment we are assembled, and God holds our record safe so that we can return in upgraded phones one day. 
In baptism, we recognize that no matter where we start out, we are always immersed in the love and grace of God. And at the communion table, we renew our contract with God. It's a plan that is offered free of charge and perpetuity. In the bread, we remember that we are part of one network. And in the cup, we remember that God's network calls us to reconcile and love each other. I wish you luck in listening for the Spirit working through you this week. And may the God of all the world call you in the midst of the network. May Christ's love drive out fear in you. And may the Holy Spirit inspire you to stay connected to God and to each other. Amen.